up in the little bitty Baptist church that I grew up in, our pastor, Pastor Mike, became a missionary, and he went on the mission field somewhere to Africa, and I remember a few years later he came back, and he, he would do a missions presentation, and it was so cool. I remember he, he brought these little uh, carved figurines and these little, you know, made of wood, and, and s- I remember the sandalwood. The, the sandalwood has this distinct smell to it, and he came with that, and and he also had these little things carved out of the, the, the horns off of cows and bulls and whatnot. And, and, and I've thought about, you know, I'm an area missionary to Europe. What could I do? Well, I could bring Mercedes. I could bring BMWs. You could smell the leather on the, cha- on the seats and the Mercedes or maybe some Italian clothing or some nice shoes. Yeah, somebody's saying some wine. And um, we're in church. You're not supposed to mention that. Some cheese and different things, different artifacts from the pagan mission field that I serve. So normally I I like to take a text and just expound the text to you, but I know that you, I love you, Pastor, because uh, the times that I've been able to visit here, actually I think I was even here on uh, early in the launch as well, so happy birthday. I think it was like the first Sunday that you had a launch, and so we were able to be here and uh, just to celebrate with you and and uh, it's kind of a flashback. Debbie and I planted the church out on the mean streets of Enumclaw uh, a long time ago. And uh, so some of the stuff we see here is like a flashback. And, and sometimes, you know, maybe I'll twitch about it. And, and uh, planting a church, you need to be praying for your pastor and, and for Pastor Hillary and uh, for the family and everybody doing the stuff here. But uh, when, they, when I heard about his heart for missions, I said, you know, you guys are helping support FMI. So I'm one of your missionaries. If you ever like me to come in and just say thank you, I don't need to preach. I don't need to do anything else. But I'd love to just come tell your church thank you for praying for us, for doing what you do so we can do what we do to reach the nations. Now, normally I get asked, what does a missionary, area missionary do? Now, I have a, can we put the PowerPoint up? Now, if you're interested, you can go to my website, managed by Liz Horn. So any updates will be delayed because she's, she's on maternity leave. Uh, but jeffroper.com is that. I want to show you a picture. This is m- the next slide will show you my re- the region that Debbie and I serve. Uh, that's our region. That's the new dark continent. And uh, so we, Debbie and I are responsible for developing uh, church planting movements in that neck of the woods. And it goes from the, the, the corner there is Iceland all the way to the far east of Russia uh, we, I haven't quite figured it out, but I think there are about 14 time zones in the region that we are responsible for. And depending on how you divide it up, they're close to 50 nations there. And so now, some of these nations are like the Vatican. The Vati- you know, Vatican is actually a country. Uh, I don't know what the Pope's going to think about it, but someday maybe we'll have the Vatican Foursquare Church. I don't know. But, uh, hey, you just, you just never know. And then that big island that's uh, just on the outside of, of the circle technically is in my region because that's Greenland. Greenland is an autonomous country that's connected to the kingdom of Denmark. Uh, but geographically, it's listed as North America, so we don't know about that. But, and we don't have too many people signing up to go to Greenland to be missionaries. So we do have one couple signed up to go to Iceland to be missionaries, and uh, which I think is pretty pretty sweet. So what do we do as far as being area missionaries? And normally this is one of the things about being a, 
area missionary that I'm, I, I, I envy missionaries is because a missionary can tell you, I live in a specific city and I do this, this, and this. And everybody's got a point of reference and a way of contact. Okay, I understand living in a city. I understand you feed the hungry. I understand you dig a well. I understand you're planting a tree. Normally, when I start explaining what I do, people's eyes just glaze over. They have no point of reference. Because, you know, even just mentioning the region, you know, that this is where we plant churches and develop national works and get things going. You know, you're already getting your mind, your eyes are already glassing over and going, don't get it. How do you do that? Well, it's real simple. We focus on going into nations where we do not have four square uh, church planting movements yet. So like right now, I've been working in Romania. We're working with some Romanians, getting some churches up and going, getting a church planting movement going there. We're working in... Um, Croatia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, all of these different countries where we, we are wanting to get Foursquare church planting movements up and running. And I go in there and I start developing those and get those help get those things up and working. Me and our team of other missionaries and other uh, European leaders, and, and we get those churches up and moving. Second thing that we do is in the countries where we have existing uh, churches, I work with those to help build them up, nurture them, train them, and equip them. We live, uh, we have an apartment in Athens, Greece. Uh, it's about two blocks from our Athens Foursquare Church that is the largest Protestant church in the whole country. Now, Greece is a, is a Greek Orthodox country. Debbie and I normally feel like extras in my big fat Greek wedding every time we're, we're in Greece. And let me tell you something, that movie is accurate, okay? <laughs> and uh, it is 100% real. And... Um, we have friends that uh, he's Greek-American and she's just American. And when they w- went to the see that movie with his family, who were all Greek-Americans, the Greek-American who married the just the regular American were laughing their fool head off. And all the Greek-Americans are watching My Big Fat Greek Wedding going, what's so funny? We don't get it. Why is that funny? Why is that funny? Well, that's what we go through when we're in Greece is just like being an extra in My Big Fat Greek Wedding. So we'll teach in that church quite a bit. I just did a, uh, a seminar there a couple of weekends ago, uh, training and equipping and stuff like that. So we, we're trying to strengthen those churches so that they can multiply and build new churches. And then the other thing that we do is we also uh, care for all the missionaries that are entrusted to us. Right now we have about 23, 24 missionary couples that are serving throughout Europe. And I, Debbie and I are responsible to, to care for them. Uh, sometimes we overlook, we oversee them. Most of the time we overlook them because uh, it's a big job and we're just going, hey, man, how you doing? Great. And we, we just keep it rolling. And so that's what we do as area missionaries because our goal is to see church planting movements planted all throughout Europe. Now, a lot of times people wonder, is Europe really a mission field? And... Because if you go to something like the Joshua Project that will list unreached people groups and you look up any nation in Europe and it'll tell you it's 98% Christian or 95% Christian, don't believe any of it, okay? Let me tell you a couple things about ministry in Europe. One is it's completely post-Christian. They have, most of them have no memory of any form of Christianity. They have the steeples, they have the churches, but it means nothing. Uh, many of them are atheists. Uh, it 
completely post-Christian, but the unique thing about it is what had happened during the age of Christendom in Europe was the religion of the prince or the king or the czar or the emperor became the religion of the people. And their ethnic identity got identified with that religion. So if you are Greek, you are Orthodox. If you cease being Orthodox, you cease being Greek. You might be an atheist. You might be a complete pagan. But you live in this country. This is our national identity. This is who we are. Our, our ethnic identity is tied to the religion. Uh, same thing in Poland. You know, if you're Polish, you're Catholic. Uh, in Italy... If you're Italian, you're Catholic. If you leave that religion, you've left your ethnic identity. That's one challenge that you're dealing with. The, well, that's the second challenge you do. The third challenge is these are people that have killed one another over religion for hundreds of years. And it's analogous to, let's say that you have a, you have a friend who's been in an abusive relationship for years, she's finally free from that abusive relationship, and you come along and say, I've got this wonderful guy I'd like you to meet. You can imagine the reaction she's going to have. Why would I want that? I've had enough beatings in my whole life. See, here in America, especially here on the West Coast and in the Northwest, people are beginning, we're on the early stages of people beginning to think Christianity is irrelevant. In Europe, Christianity and religion is the problem, is the mindset. So those are the things you must overcome. So part of what we have to do in order to overcome that is you never go out and just, you generally don't go out and try to do any street stuff. You don't go out and do any of this because it just really sets the gospel back because they, fe they feel like you're just coming at them, trying to force something on them. It's, it's really an ugly situation. But when you go in and you serve, you, you love, you do works of compassion. One of the countries uh, in Europe is, is Estonia. It's one of the most uh, secular nations in the world. Two-tenths of one percent of its population has any kind of faith. Okay, let me say that again. Two-tenths of one percent. Okay, and that's actually not unusual throughout Europe. Normally, at the most that you can find in Europe is about 2% of the population has any kind of a living faith. And in Estonia, we have we had some missionaries, some missionaries working there, got a work up and going in the capital city of Tallinn, Estonia, that part of what they were doing was reaching out to the homeless, reaching out to the prostitutes, reaching out to those in in uh, human trafficking, reaching out to those who are indigent, reaching out to elderly, doing an incredible work to the extent that the government of this extremely secular nation gave them an award for being the finest humanitarian organization in the nation because they were, in the name of Jesus, reaching out and, and bringing healing. That is part of what we do. Actually, it's, it's an interesting thing. When you study the history, the early history of Christianity, where the gospel expanded in the first 200 years, was it, it boiled down to a couple of things. One, these people really believed it. Two, they were willing to die for it. Three, their lives were transformed by it. Four, they were very compassionate. 
and they would reach out. They would they would they would heal people. They would they would bring people in. They were doing constant works of compassion. The fifth thing was they could out argue anybody. They had a Christian mind that had been renewed and in by the scriptures and filled with the spirit and they could outthink their opponents. And when you see how that operated, that's the same way that we have to re-engage in it today to get the gospel out to the four corners. So people often ask, Debbie and I, how in the world can you do what you do? How do I mean, you know, you look at that and go, how in the world can you guys do that? Well, we can do it, one, because of God's calling. When I was a 16-year-old boy, I was uh, a new convert, and I was reading this book about, a, about the underground church in the Soviet Union. Now, for the young people here, the Soviet Union is a country that used to exist <laughs> that was our mortal enemy. And, you know, many of us, you know, I grew up, like I mentioned, in the South, and we grew up having bomb drills in our schools. How many of you had bomb drills growing up? And the bomb drills would go like this. If you hear the particular warning sound go off, the buzzer goes off in a particular way, close the windows and hide under your desks because the Russians are coming and they're dropping nuclear bombs on us. Hide under your desk. Okay? Now, we had another, being in the south, we had another te- uh, uh, drill that we'd have to go through every month as well. It was a tornado drill. That alarm had a different sound. And when that alarm went off, you didn't close the windows, you opened the windows so that the wind could blow through and not blow the school down. And then you would hide under your desk because there was a tornado coming. Let me tell you, we had some amazing desks. (laughs) Those things would protect you from nuclear fallout. They would protect you from tornadoes. They don't make them like they used to, do they, man? We had some seriously good desks when I was a kid. And uh, so uh, <coughs> I'm, I'm a young believer, new believer, and I'm reading this book about the persecution of the underground church in the Soviet Union, and it's written by a guy who had, who had been a member of the KGB, the, the secret police, whose job was to infiltrate the underground church, find out who the Christians were, and arrest them and send them to the gulag, and he got saved. And Jesus got a hold of him. He got saved. He escaped from the Soviet Union and wrote a book about it. I'm reading this book. And Jesus speaks to me. God speaks to me. It wasn't audible, but it might as well have been. It was as clear as it was audible. And he said, you will have a ministry in Russia. Now, that would be about like God showing up to you today and saying, you are going to have a ministry in North Korea. <laughs> Only there were, it was a whole lot bigger and a whole lot more powerful. When God spoke to me and said, you're going to have a ministry in Russia, I said, is there anybody else up there I can talk to? <laughs> and... But that word grew in my heart. I, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to talk to anybody about it. You didn't even go and talk about this kind of stuff. Why? In, I mean, we, I was gr- when I was growing up, you're, you're, if you wanted to do anything with the communists, it was kill them. That's the only thing you had to do with the communists. The only good communist is a dead communist. That's what we used to say. Be- well, yeah, we were yeah, better dead than red, and uh, that was what we used to say. So I couldn't talk about it and just let that word grow in my heart and didn't know what to do with it and met this, moved here to the Northwest, met this beautiful lady here and uh, 30 years ago we got married and, and one night we're pastoring now in Enum Farm 
15 years have passed since that God has spoken that word to me. And I'm laying in bed reading a magazine article about the, what's happening in Russia now that the Soviet Union has collapsed and freedom has come and they're actually able to preach the gospel and churches are able to be legal now. And, and I said, Lord, what about that calling you gave me to reach Russia? The only Russian I know is named Smirnoff and that's not going to help me do missionary work. And the next morning, 12 hours after praying that prayer, the next morning my phone rings and somebody says, hey, Jeff, you don't know this, but uh, we've got this little ministry. There's some people I met, been building a relationship with. So we've got this relationship going and this ministry going in Russia that we're training new believers and young leaders. And every time we pray about who should go in there and help, your name comes up. Would you ever be interested in going? That word that God spoke to me as a 15-year-old kid incubated in my heart for 15 years. I prayed that little prayer, Lord, what about that word? Twelve hours later, God answered that prayer. Three weeks after that phone call, I landed in Moscow for the first time. And that group of leaders that I started training eventually became the Foursquare Church of Russia. And that's how I ended up in doing what I'm doing. There was a calling that God gave to Debbie and I to be engaged in this. You know, everything's got to flow out of that calling that Jesus, because if he calls you, he equips you. And there was a calling that came. The second thing about it is I, I can do it because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And that work of the Holy Spirit both is his empowering and staying near unto him, close to him. Always to make sure you're operating in, in the life of the Spirit, flowing from the abundance of that overflow. And also trusting Him that He's going to make the divine appointments and divine connections that we need. I used to go into the country of Ukraine just to go in and pray. And they go, Lord, what is, what is wrong? We can't get a work up and running in this country. And I had a friend going with me one time. And I said, look, John, we're going to go to Kiev and... I don't know what's going to happen. I, we're, we're just going to walk around the city and pray. I don't know what's going to happen. And then after that, we'll spend a few days in Kiev, uh, and then we'll go down to the Crimea, down to Yalta, and we'll do a seminar with, with the church down there. But we're just going to go to Kiev and spend a few days walking around and praying. I, I know God wants to do something in that nation. And we have nothing, and I don't know what else to do but just go there and pray and walk around. Several days before we were to leave for that trip, I get contacted by a young man. And he lives in Kiev and was wanting to get connected. So I said, I'm going to be in Kiev in a few days. Meet me at this particular hotel and let's, let's get together. We met that day out of the blue. I don't know how. It's still kind of one of those strange stories about how all the connections end up connecting. But when God's in it, God's orchestrating it. And out of that connection, probably by the end of next year, we will have 34 square churches in Ukraine. Because God has an amazing way of connecting you. You don't have to force it. You don't have to, you don't have to force it. So there's a calling and there's a, the work of the Spirit. And the third thing is because of the body of Christ. Obviously, Debbie and I don't do all of this stuff by ourselves. Trust me. We do it because of the body of Christ. And that, is, that includes the missionaries that are serving with us. That includes the, the national churches that we have 
networking throughout Europe, and that includes churches like this, that because of your partnership, and it's not about the economics, it's not just about the fact that you're, you're giving money, but it but en uh, enables us to be able to go and do this and get the gospel out. But there's a true partnership that happens. And let me tell you something. When I was pastoring, I knew who was praying for me. I knew I could get together every Sunday morning, and I had a prayer team. I, knew I, had, a, I had a network of prayer partners in the church that would pray for me during the course of the week. When you leave the local church and you leave the pastor, you leave all, you, you've lost all of that. You don't have that community. You're out on the frontier all the time. You don't have that community. So to know that back home in the sending country, in our, in our mother church, the Foursquare Church in the U.S., that we have churches like this praying for us, giving so that we can do our ministry, loving on us, it means the world to us. We could not, it, this is not, this is not a trite saying. It's the truth. We could not do what we do if you did not do what you do. It takes the body of Christ to do the work of global missions. It's not the work of the missionary. It's the work of the body of Christ. And I'm so thrilled to hear that you guys are doing a monthly, once a month missions focus. Because that's, that's why Jesus came. Jesus did not come so pastors can have careers and Christians can have buildings to worship in. He came to seek and to save the lost. So when I was thinking about that, about how, you know, you, you look at how uh, we're doing what we're doing, you're doing what you're doing, and I got to thinking about, as a, as a missionary just coming here to talk to you, you know, Paul, when, when Paul was the first airy missionary to Europe, and uh, actually he was mission, airy missionary to Europe and to the Middle East, and he would write thank you letters to his churches. We have them in the New Testament, like the Philippian church. You know, the book of Philippians was actually a thank you note for a missionary office. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, so he wrote Philippians to say thank you. He wrote the book of Romans to say I need your help in missions. I wish I had time to explain to you why the book of Romans was actually written. It had nothing to do with most probably what you were taught. It was a missionary letter to get the, the people of Rome engaged in the mission of God. And so I got to think, what if I were to write to you guys, I wouldn't write like Paul wrote to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, he wrote him a letter and said, you guys got some problems you need to deal with. And then he wrote him a second letter, goes, seriously, this is what the second letter of Corinthians is about. Seriously? I have to defend my ministry to you people? <laughs> That's 2 Corinthians. And, um, but what, if I were to write a letter to you, what would I say? Here are seven things I'd like to say. Number one is thank you. Honestly, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for, for this. You may look and say, what do we have to do with global missions? We have everything to do with global missions. It's because you pray with us, you partner with us, you, you are true partners with us. Every bit of fruit that God grants to us is yours as well. We are in this thing together. You may never see it. That's the, that is the beauty and the challenge of missions, is you are sacrificing for something you will never see this side of heaven. And it's very selfless. You've got to give it to missions. You may never see the fruit of it, but we've got to give it. So thank you. 
Second thing I would tell you is lift up your eyes. The harvest is always ripe. People would tell us all the time, man, Europe is hard. Europe is rough. We can't keep up. The harvest is always ripe. Now, is it like some other places? No. But they had, like, let me tell you this. Africa has more Christians in it than North America. Okay? But the reason that happened is because there was a generation or two of missionaries who would pack everything they have when they were going into onto the mission field. They, they wouldn't have to pack it in a suitcase. They packed it in a casket. Because when they were going to Africa, they knew they only needed a one-way ticket. Most of them would be dead within two years. And they planted the seed that we are now reaping today. Where you go into Latin America, you go into South America, you see some of the revivals. that That's because there was a tremendous investment. I wish I had the time today to tell you about what happens when we abandon the gospel. See, the gospel can never be defeated, but it can always be abandoned. There are two regions on the globe that are post-Christian. The Middle East. You do realize the Middle East was actually the original, the cradle of Christianity. Not Europe, the Middle East. What we know as Latin Christianity actually came from Africa, from North Africa. North Africa and the Middle East were the original epicenters of Christianity. But they lost a sense of mission. It became nationalized, and they began to think of it as ethnic identity, and they just huddled around and they started protecting themselves and saying, we got to make sure we're doing okay and, you know, we're not going to worry about all these other people. And now you look at Europe. What are the two problems facing the world right now that has caused more death and destruction in the last hundred years than anything else? Radical humanism and radical Islam. They both come from two post-Christian regions. Do you remember when Jesus said, if you go into a a house and you sweep it clean, you take the demon out of there, and you don't keep that house filled up, that demon comes in and he brings seven more, even more vile than the one you cast out? That's why we must continue and never let go. We can never say, we should have never said to the Middle East, well, they've rejected the gospel, so leave them alone. We should never say to Europe, they've rejected the gospel, leave them alone. We can, must contend for that. Lift up your eyes. The third thing I would tell you is don't get in your way. Now, how do you get in your way? You get in your way by limiting your own boundaries. Stretch out. Pastor Dan, stretch out. Don't limit your boundaries. Parkland Foursquare, don't limit yourself. Don't let the story that runs through your brain dictate the boundaries of what God wants to do in you. Stretch out the cords of your tent. Lift up your eyes. Stretch it out. See bigger. See more than what you see. I have on my on my uh, desk at my office. I have a ask great things of God. Attempt great things for God. That ought to mark our lives as a missionary people. 
Don't limit your boundaries and don't limit your identity. Oh, I could never do that. Says who? Who lives inside of you? Pastor Dan mentioned this a while ago. Who lives inside of you? Do you remember? It's an open book test, okay? You got the book there in front of you, right? (laughs) Who lives inside of you? The Holy Spirit, Jesus. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The The fourth thing I would tell you is love is the purpose, the strategy, and the plan. What's the plan for reaching this community? Love. What's the purpose of this church? Love. I've been reading, uh, this is how nerdy I am. I'm reading the Apostolic Fathers, all 38 volumes of the Apostolic Fathers. And it's quite shocking to me as I'm reading through this. They're not struggling with, oh, God, use me, use me. They're always in there talking about, God, I want to love you. You know, if you love God, you'll be useful. If you love God, you'll find stuff to do. You don't need to struggle with, Am I being useful for God? Stop thinking of yourself as a commodity. You're not a commodity to be used. You're a person to be loved and a person to love. You're to be loving God and he's loving you. And out of that, man, there's life that flows. Love is the purpose. It is the strategy. It is the plan. Next thing I would tell you is don't grow weary in doing well. Don't grow weary in doing good. When you go out, it's, it's hard at times. People aren't thankful. They won't always come up to you and say, Pastor Dan, I know you really worked hard on that sermon. Thank you. And I said, man, could you please use that five minutes over? <laughs> the next thing I'd tell you, thank you, we're hoping people. As much as I love the church, the church is not my hope. As much as I love the Bible, the Bible is not my hope. As much as I love worship, worship is not my hope. My hope is anchored in Jesus Christ. That imagery that the writer of Hebrews uses when he says this anchor, this hope we have is an anchor for our soul. For our soul. That the terminology there is used of a, uh, of a kedging anchor, which w- what would happen was when a ship is coming into a harbor and it's going to be rough getting that ship into the harbor, and in order to secure the ship and make sure it gets in there safely, they would take an anchor, put it onto the dinghy, onto the uh, extra boat, and carry the anchor into the harbor and then drop the anchor inside the harbor, and then they would pull the boat into the harbor from the anchor. That's what we have in Jesus. Our hope is anchored into Jesus Christ. And, man, the, the storm is coming, the harbor is rough, the winds are blowing. Don't let go of the anchor. Don't give up when you just keep heading straight. Anchor into Jesus. He, people will let you down. The church will let you down. Everything but Jesus will let you down. Okay? Anchor into Jesus Christ. And finally, keep renewing your heart and your mind. The thing about when you pour your heart out, the heart can become calloused just by using it. It's normal. I'm training for for my next marathon. I know I don't look like a runner, and I'm probably if you saw me running, you would say he definitely doesn't look like a runner. I don't actually. It's more like angry walking. (laughs) 
day, but uh, yes, I do. I've, this will be my third marathon, and uh, we do it in the city of Athens. We actually run the original marathon. We start in the city of Marathon and run to the original Olympic Stadium. And uh, last year, I didn't train for it, and I just got out and ran because my travel schedule just, uh, I'm just going to go do it. If I die, okay, but if not, if I just can't make it, that the, the quitter's bus keeps coming by, and I can just jump on. And uh, at 13 miles, actually at about 8 miles, I had a big blister. As they would say on my big fat Greek wedding, about the size of my head. I had a blister as big as my face on my, on my foot, on my right foot. So by the halfway mark, 13 miles, it was covering the full front of my foot. And uh, it was terrible. And I still finished the marathon. And, uh, but this year I'm a little bit smarter. I'm building up my calluses. So I'm running and I'm testing, even today, I'm saying, okay, my callus is coming out. Yeah, pretty good. We're all right. And that's just because of usage. And whenever you pour your heart out into life and the ministry, it will, out of self-defense, build calluses. And the worst thing you want on your heart is it to be calloused. You must constantly renew your heart to keep your heart tender. Ministry will make you cynical if you are not careful. Loving people can make you cynical if you're not careful. Always bring it back to Jesus and say, Jesus, keep my heart alive for you and let my mind continually be renewed. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this congregation that loves you, loves your word, loves your mission. Lord, I thank you for this church. I pray that you would bless them, and while you are at it, that you would bless them a whole lot. Thank you for their partnership in the gospel, that they have joined the great team of harvesters, reaping a harvest, taking this gospel of the kingdom around the world. They are doing it from right here in Parkland as partners in the gospel, and I thank you for that. And I pray that you would bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Dan, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Exciting. Well, this is going to be an exciting week for you. Thank you for coming. And uh, we're just blessed. I mean, what that just opened my heart to what God's doing. Man, that's it's so good to hear because we are just one body, but there's the body across the globe, and God's doing great things. So I want to pray for that second point, the hope anchored in Jesus. Because that just strikes me as so important, obviously, regardless. But as we're talking about just maintaining the steadfastness in this community, people say to me, man, Parkland's hard, you know. And sure, but our hope is in Jesus, and he loves this place more than we do. And so I want the Lord to bless us with that reality, everything you said, but that is just what I'm going to hone into right now. So. I'm just going to pray. So, Lord, I just thank you that our hope is in you. And, Jesus, would you, by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, would you help us to look at Jesus right now, to see Jesus, to, to, to be amazed by Jesus, to marvel at who Jesus is, God, that everything we do is wrapped up in who you are and not what's going on around us, God, but everything comes back to you. And so, Jesus, even now, all of us, let's just, let's just uh, return to Jesus and just say, I need my hope and everything I do to be wrapped up in who you are and what you're doing, God. Even now, restore that. And if I'm 
clinging to God, if there's any part of me that's clinging to the, the things that are temporal and fall away, just, God, would you help me lift my hand off those things and to place everything that I am and to wrap myself around Jesus, the only one who's secure, the only firm foundation that there ever is and ever will be. Jesus, I love you, and I pray, God, that you would help us to remind ourselves every morning to come back to you, to look at you, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, Debbie. Yes. I, I just keep getting this word. Um, because it was really important to us when we began our church and we pastored for 23 years. But I want to really exhort you and, in, and to encourage you to not have small thinking. I really believe that the Holy Spirit wants to enlarge your thinking of what he wants to do through all of you in this area. If you allow him to enlarge your faith, you as Parkland Foursquare Church, this size can change a nation. We were a church when we started out where your was about this size. But in light of what God spoke, we actually opened up the nation of Russia and developed Foursquare Movement there. Now, we were just a little bitty church, y even in the beginning smaller than you guys. Don't think small. Think big. Have faith. Allow God to increase your faith for great things. He can take you here in Parkland and do great things for the kingdom of God. Don't limit yourself. Don't say, oh, we can't do that. Don't say, we can't finance that. Don't say, I can't go to the field. Say, God, whatever you want, just do it. And see what he can do through this church here. N in Parkland and even beyond, and even beyond into the nations of the world. Don't have a small mind, Dan. Think big, because God can do great and mighty things through your church family here. Okay? Amen. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I think it's relevant to what you're saying. Uh, not everything hinges on this, but tomorrow our leadership team is meeting for a day, and we're just going to be dreaming and praying. So, what, what, what God, what do you have five years, ten years down the road? Um, and I bring that up because I want you all praying. And it doesn't mean, again, it doesn't hinge on what God says there, but I believe it's important what God wants to speak to us, the vision of where he's taking us. I think it's completely relevant and timely what you're sharing. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Amen. All right. Amen. If you if you're in the spot where, hey, man, I think those are just amazing things. A lot of things you said. God's just really stirring you. I just want to remind you, we always have prayer. Let's stand together. We always have prayer available. Um, Liz, we want to pray for you. If you allow us, can we pray for you? This, 
Okay, amen. So we're going to have some people come and pray for Liz. She gets to p- select them. I'm just joking. Um, but if, you, if you're just wanting prayer, I want to remind you, I like to say this every time, because sometimes we just forget, we get busy. Please take time just to come up and get prayer, okay? Um, and also fellowship over there. We've, I've realized people don't know there's something outside that door. It says exit. That's not like actually leaving the building. Um, there's other things going on. Um, including coffee and cookies and those, those sort of things. So thank you, Lord, for a wonderful evening. Continue to awaken and stir our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome.